a pretty profound shift for us as adults from trying to be the boss who's controlling them to trying to set the conditions where they can grow best. That's more of a facilitator rather than an instructor. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I'm super excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. And today we are going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite topics, which is middle school, um, because there are so many different ways that we can go with that. Um, but middle school and innovations around middle school education, in my opinion, are one of the most important positive disruptors that we can spend our time working on as it relates to what is school, why does it matter? Why are we doing it? And so joining us today is uh, an amazing colleague, um, Chris Baum, who has been the founding principal of a couple of different schools and school startups, which we will uh, dig into a little bit. But he is also the author of a book called Finding the Magic in Middle School, which is a fabulous read. And he also writes a regular newsletter called um, Growing Wiser about parenting and teaching adolescents. And so Chris is just really all about kids. So Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I love talking about middle school. Thank you for having me. <laughs> all right. So let's sort of set the stage first and foremost. So you come to this work with a pretty diverse background of experience. And I mentioned that you've actually started a couple of schools. You've really, really been involved um, with a variety of educational endeavors, um, middle school advisory in particular, which is also one of the things I love about your work. So let's talk just a little bit about why, why is Chris Baum so involved or invested in school transformation and the work that sort of landed you in a space of starting schools? Mm, thank you. Well, I think middle school is the lowest hanging fruit to change the <laughs> K-12 system. They're the most underestimated. It's frankly the worst part of the system. So it's a natural place to start to change it. And I think I'm here because my own middle school experience was crummy. And as I processed that, you know, years later, as I was thinking of, you know, what I wanted to do after college, it just dawned on me that it didn't have to be bad. Mm -hmm. Like we all just assume this is the worst time, just get through it, you know, hope you're not traumatized. Like that's a crazy <laughs> mindset as you know, we know now that there are two peak times of brain growth in our entire lifespan mm -hmm. and it's early childhood and early adolescence. You know, the zero to five years, we don't say this is a crappy time. Just try to get through it. Like we know this is core to figuring out, you know, to, becoming a great person, finding your potential, getting off on the right start. Same with middle school. You know, it's not the, you know, traumatic time to just try to get through. So when that finally dawned on me and then I became a teacher and, and started this path towards starting middle schools, you know, I, I guess I've been hooked for a while. <laughs> I think this age has some magic to it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, middle school is an amazing space, right? Because, <sighs> 
I always like to say it's that sweet spot, right? It's the moment, it's the last moment we have to capture the imagination of our kids or to completely lose them in a well of irrelevance. <laughs> well said. Agreed. Yeah. You, you know, but, but it's yeah. but it's interesting. We we don't I think as a, a collective set of institutions, and obviously it's not the same all over the world, but there are some 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 longstanding consistencies that we see, and I'm sure that you've seen them in your work around the world as well, that, you know, this, this space, it doesn't seem to matter where you are, it's the big giant quandary in the education world. We're either working our kids to death at that point, and we're losing them in some cultures, or we're just like saying, ah, this kid's got it and this one doesn't, and we just let them go. I completely agree. And to me, a lot of the the confusion is that we aren't understanding developmentally what's happening. And so we accidentally end up working directly against what middle schoolers are driven to do. And it Mm -hmm. drives them crazy and us crazy. You know, for example, it's the most peer-motivated time of our entire lives. They're so fascinated and entranced by their peers and figuring out how to be a friend, how to be in groups, how to be in different groups. And if school is all about, you know, be quiet, listen to the teacher, collaboration is actually cheating, then all we're doing is we're, we're fighting a battle that we will not win <laughs> to try to get mm-hmm. them to not be social, just as one example. So when we flip that, when we understand the developmental drives, we can teach them in a way they're actually motivated by and also parent them in a way that doesn't create needless conflict. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think that's really interesting, and I want to sort of dig in on that just a little bit, is a, a part of the disconnect is we we fail to recognize the physiological transformation that is across the spectrum, right? It's not just that these kids are getting bigger. It's not just that their hormones are, are kicking in. It's not, their their personalities and their brains are in massive state of transition in that moment. Yeah, 100 years, 100 plus years ago, Maria Montessori said, it's like being born again into a social self. And she was so right. And that was before mm-hmm. we had MRIs and other ways to really measure it. But it's a rebuilding of your brain around your social identity. And that's a chance and a challenge to reinvent yourself. It really is. And so as as a school, and Chris, because you have been involved in the starting of at least two schools, and I suspect you've been highly influential in the starting of numerous schools, um, how do you, as, as an education architect, think about these these now known facts, right, of this human developmental phase and utilize this in in strategic and meaningful ways to do what's in the best interest of kids, while at the same time, the best interest of the process of learning for their futures. How do you make strategic decisions as it relates to the idea of education in that moment? You know, I think those two are completely aligned, that the more you reinvent school to match middle schoolers developmentally, the deeper they learn. Mm-hmm. You know, as an example, ground zero for any great middle school is a sense of belonging. You know, if you don't have that, the amount of threat you feel as a middle schooler is almost existential. Like, it's not mm-hmm. sure if you're going to survive this. And if you're feeling that kind of threat, there's no way you're learning to your potential or fully focused in a class. So when you focus on their wellness first, 
building belonging through things like advisory, where they have mm-hmm. this group they are unconditionally part of, then their class experience changes. And when teachers get trained to become advisors, where they're they're more facilitators than they are instructors, mm-hmm. it transforms their teaching. And they become less, you know, lecture-oriented, stand at the front, and more guide by the side. Mm-hmm. So I think those two just work together so well. <laughs> and the same for parents, you know, when parents can shift their mindset toward being a guide rather than being a boss, mm-hmm. then they get to relate to their kids in such, you know, more positive and welcoming ways, which is what allows middle schoolers to step into bit by bit their more adult self that's starting to yeah. open up. I agree, but I'm going to push a little bit because I I know what folks are saying yes, but middle school is really, really hard. Um, it's hard to be a teacher in middle school. It's hard to be, obviously we've talked about, it's hard to be a parent. Um, it's hard to be a partner in that middle school space. And yet, you know, we've already acknowledged it's a really, really incredibly robust opportunity, but how, how do you, how do you functionalize, right? How do you functionalize the approach that says we are going to do school differently. And as an educator, I'm going to do the following, right? Or as a a school, I'm going to think about and prioritize the following to make this experience not just better, but to make the experience foundational from a growth standpoint. Because that's the other piece, I think, as it relates to why I think middle school is like the perfect sort of sweet spot is because it can be so foundational in so many ways. We discount it often, but, it, you know, to go back to something you sort of alluded to, it is this grand new beginning. It's it's a new moment. There's so much potential in that. So how, how do you functionalize that from a school setting standpoint? So three rules of thumb, and then I'll, I can give an example to unpack each of those. You know, simply put, it's make it more personal, where there's space mm-hmm. to figure out your identity and experiment make it more social, and make it more real world, where this doesn't feel like you're being babysat. So practical outcome of that, um, start with a strong advisory program. That is the heart of every great middle school that I've seen, period. Advisory that's not just kind of homeroom, you know, here's a Mm -hmm. time for administrative announcements, not that at all. Advisory where this is a space that's peer to peer, but held and made safe by an adult who's there where we can talk about as peers, what's really on our minds. You know, how do I deal with the fact that my mom is driving me crazy right now? Or I'm super stressed about the test coming up. Like, what do I do with my anxiety? When we're responding with tools in the moment, that's the best SEL that we can Mm -hmm. offer. And it's also where they get that sense of belonging, that no matter what, I have this group that I can be real with. That's the beginning. Then the way we teach needs to shift toward projects that are connected to real world challenges. As middle schoolers know that they're becoming more capable. They start to see through mm-hmm. adults. They might overestimate themselves and think, well, I'm practically an adult already. <laughs> but we tend to <laughs> underestimate them. This, you know, right. we, we see their range of maturity and sometimes we teach to the low end of their range. Uh, they wanna be treated for the high end of that range you know, when they are starting to have adult-like insights into the world. So we can't babysit them. We can't kind of keep them on these little islands of school. They have to feel like what they're working on matters to adults who are outside of this building. 
uh, and to work on those in teams uh, where there isn't just a, an answer they can Google or in the back of the textbook, then it seems worthy of them. And when they produce work in that context, it actually changes their sense of who they are. So they realize mm-hmm. I did something of value to an objective adult. They thought this was impressive. I guess I can do things <laughs> versus, you know, I'm filling out another worksheet. You know, the other thing that I think is super interesting about that is that, you know, when we sort of step back and allow middle schools the opportunity, or middle school kids, the opportunity to have a say so that, that you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. It, that is an age where autonomy becomes super, super powerful, right? And there's that balance as the adults or the facilitators in the room, right? Uh, you know, in terms of where and how much voice and choice do we allow kids to have? And we we tend to err on the super conservative side, I, I would argue, right? Which yeah. I think is the exact opposite of what we should do. Because these kids have such an amazing opportunity to learn from the things that don't go well when we facilitate that to be okay. Agreed. And the easiest way to piss off a middle schooler is to baby them when they don't want to be babied. Oh, and yeah. it's not it's not going to go down well. And in the book, I write about this effect called the anchoring effect, which mm-hmm. is just this bias that is you know in all of our brains to overweight earlier information about someone. We just right. we remember how they were when we first met them. Yeah. And the rate of change of a middle schooler, you know, one year of middle school is probably equivalent to ten years of adult life in terms of how much you grow and develop. So even if we just met them in September and we kind of anchor on who they were then, we're probably holding them back by January or February. So for them to feel like we're actually trusting them with significantly more responsibility, Mm -hmm. that changes how they relate to us. They feel trusted. They feel like they can bring their actual selves here versus just kind of play the game with us. Right. Absolutely. And I agree. And one of the things I I tell folks all the time when this whole thing about middle school comes up, I said, well, you know, I don't know about your kids, but, but with my kids, one of the most remarkable things that I always felt like sort of happened during that middle school space is they became twice the person they were when they started their middle school journey. And what I mean by that, it's not just the growth and development of them as their personalities and their social skills and all of that. I said, they physically are now almost (laughs) twice the size. So think about that. If that's happening to their little bodies, imagine what's happening to the rest of who they are at that same rate. That's it. And I think I love that you say that, because I think if we can empathize with them, if we can try to remember, it's hard for us as adults, what it was Mm -hmm. like to change that fast on every possible level, physically, emotionally, socially, and just simply cognitively, they're getting so much smarter. Right. And when we relate to them as, you know, complex, interesting people who are rapidly evolving, that's going to feel good for them. And it's honest. They are Mm -hmm. that. So Mm I think that's where, yeah, our stories about middle school really can dampen that relationship Mm -hmm. and kind of put everyone in this defensive position. Mm -hmm. But if we see it as they are going on this heroic adventure, everything about them is changing and Mm -hmm. they're not in control of it. We're not in control of it either. Zero. (laughs) Yeah. It is truly a heroic adventure. Yeah. 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 
you know, and as adults, it, you know, it's, I think it's the same, um, same sort of scenario that, you know, I always, always heard the conversation around, well, you know, there's a reason that we, we have a set of baby teeth as human and we lose them when we're, we're infants as opposed, if, if you will, are toddlers, as opposed to when we're adults, right? Because adults would never tolerate that experience. Right. Exactly. There's, there's a lot of the same similarities that are happening when we're in that early adolescent phase. You know, if we were to go through some of those rapid changes as adults, we would we would curl up into a little ball on the floor and be completely incoherent. Yeah. And we wouldn't be, you know, easily motivated by, you know, you've got to do this because yeah. it's due on Friday. No. You know, we would be curious about who we are and that would look like selfishness, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's just trying to figure out what's going on. And right. we'd be curious about our peers who are also changing in really interesting ways, mm-hmm. which looks mm-hmm. like we're ignoring adults, but it's it's really not. It's just this is where my edge of learning is. I've got to figure yeah. out what the heck is going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so so Chris, so after all of this work and this time that you've spent in this space, what what are the big constraints? I mean, other than the, than, than the obvious ones from the adult perspective, the teachers, the administrators, the counselors, all these folks that in this middle school environment that are working with or should be working with these kids, but often that's not the case. What is the big hangup? Why is it that so many places are not being creative when it comes to really understanding the opportunity that is middle school, the experience and middle school, the students? To me, the, the key is developmental understanding, you know, again, to compare them to toddlers. Mm-hmm. If we didn't understand as parents of toddlers that they were going through these distinct stages that would make them act in very strange ways, mm-hmm. you know, we would be tearing our hair out. It would be so baffling. But we understand, you know, this is the time when they might have trouble sleeping. This is the stranger danger time, etc. We need that same kind of understanding of middle school. It is the other major time of brain change. So that's the beginning. And then it's about adult mindsets. You know, I spend less time worrying about the structures. How do we change the system of schooling? As I feel less optimistic about that happening in the near future, but I feel more optimistic about adults being able to think differently about who they were as middle schoolers. As part of it is processing our own adolescence, which can be painful. Um, but also, who do we want to be around someone who's transforming? You know, someone on a heroic journey doesn't need a boss walking along, nagging them. They need a guide, someone who knows the territory well, has authority that comes from that versus trying to control them. So for me, it's a shift, a pretty profound shift for us as adults from trying to be the boss who's controlling them to trying to set the conditions where they can grow best. That's more of a facilitator rather than an instructor. Okay, Chris, so we've talked about the sort of educator experience, and we've sort of acknowledged um, broadly the student experience, all the changes that are happening. But one of the things that you also spend a lot of time in your work in is thinking about sort of the family or the parent experience and the role and the impact actually that that has in the middle school child's development, but also in the way the middle school student sort of interacts with and thinks about their own learning journey. So how do you how do you help coach families to really shift from that sort of authoritarian sort of space? Like, uh, you know, I'm the adult, I know all, which is what our natural human tendency, I think in many ways as parents can be, into being more of that 
guide, that facilitator of that journey for students? Because these things are intricately connected. Such a great question. I think the first step is to expect transformation. You know, it's not just about your child transforming, but it's going to be you too. And Mm -hmm. again, to make that comparison to early childhood, you know, when you first became a parent, you knew that this was going to change most or everything about your life. You know, maybe you read about it or you had support from other parents and you were kind of buckled up, ready for the adventure, Mm -hmm. more or less. You know, we can't really be ready for it, but we can set our mindset to, I expect this to change everything. And sometimes then, you know, fast forward 10 years, we kind of think that we know our kids, we have ways of parenting that hopefully more or less work. We're in a more comfortable routine. And then we get taken by surprise oh my God, they're changing and, uh, you know, they're becoming unrecognizable or they're pushing back or pushing away. And we take it personally. We think we've failed. We might get triggered or angry about it. Those are all really understandable reactions. And it's because maybe we haven't prepared ourselves that this is going to be almost as big of a transformation as going from no kids to having a child. Mm-hmm. They are now completely transforming on every possible level they are stepping toward adulthood. They're not there yet, but they're, they're rapidly moving in that direction. And it will take us reinventing ourselves to keep walking with them, to keep being the right accompaniment, which is going to be hard, but it's also the gift that we might be stuck in some ruts in our own journey in life. And maybe we're in, in midlife or other times where mm-hmm. things are feeling in certain ruts when you have a child who's going through adolescence and transforming, it's an, it's an opening for you to change too. They need it. They need to see that you can keep learning, that you can test things out and make mistakes and be imperfect and be weird. Uh, and you need it too. <laughs> then mm-hmm. it helps you grow and it puts you in the same kind of playing field as them, that we're both growing. Like, I'm not done. I may be in the middle of my life, but I am still full of questions and quirks and hobbies and passions, and I want to explore those. Now, that's a beautiful way to connect with your middle schooler versus trying to be the boss who is always calm and in control and has the rules, has the answers. They're going to see through that really quickly anyways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that when if we don't embrace it, then we miss part of the fun. Honestly, yes. you know, middle school kids are so much fun if we just sort of live in the moment with them. Be awkward and gawky and my feet are too big and my hands are too big and I don't know where to be and I don't know how to stand and I don't know how to talk to a stranger, right? I mean, it's all of that and it's yes. awesome. I love it. And Something I talk about in the book is this concept of the third thing that sometimes, you know, face to face, full eye contact conversations with your middle school age child can be kind of intense for them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they might want to bring that to a close as soon as they can. But when you're side by side, kind of having an experience together or looking at something, that's the third thing, which could be anything from, you know, doing a puzzle together to watching a show together and commenting on it or going to a baseball game, whatever it might be, even just being in the car together. When you're side by side, it's easier for them to connect. It's, it's lower stress. They might Mm -hmm. find themselves opening up more. And then you can just enjoy being in the world with your child who is so much smarter than they used to be. (laughs) Like they're seeing things, they're picking up nuance. They're wondering things they've never wondered before. And it is fun. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you framed it that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's just an intriguing thing. And I guess what I've always been so perplexed by, and I certainly see it all the time, you know, in, in our work at Pass Foundation is that, you know, when you go and you talk to a school district or, or a community about educational transformation, everybody wants to talk to you about elementary school or they want to talk to you about high school. Nobody wants to talk about middle school. I know. I know. It is just the long forgotten stepchild of the rest of the education system. I think system. it's because people don't know what to yeah. do. I think they yeah. intuitively recognize this this space is a big old giant mess. It's kind of like a yeah. cesspool of all this stuff that's happening and it feels really out of control. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think often we haven't processed our own journey through it. And yeah. because that's kind of There's like a door that, right? we don't want to open, <laughs> then when our kids or students come along, you know, we're not... We're not ready to meet them if we haven't mm-hmm. done a little bit, at least, of introspection about our own journey and what we wish had happened and all the, the weird and awkward moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we are willing to, maybe with the right support, open some of those doors to our own middle school self, who, mm-hmm. by the way, is still there. <laughs> they have not gone anywhere. <laughs> there are some layers around them, but that's cl- actually closer to the core of you, I feel, in many ways than your adult self. Mm-hmm. And then we can we can meet the middle schoolers in our lives and and remember yeah. like yeah that was incredibly confusing or i was so awkward about that or whatever it might well, be well i think we all carry into adulthood trauma honestly yeah. trauma from middle school right i mean i can't think of an adult that i've encountered in my lifetime if you really dig and some of them won't admit it but you know that's unfortunate for them but there was a <laughs> thing or multiple things that happened to us during that time frame that were so um foundational to who we become as an adult that we make our decisions and the choices that we make and our experiences that we choose to opt into because of something that happened to us during that space. I don't like to do X because, you know, I was awkward at that the first time I ever tried it or it never really worked for me, right? it does carry over into our adult lives in very profound ways. I agree completely. And it's why when I work with schools around advisory work, I start by creating an advisory program for the adults, which mm-hmm. which can sound kind of crazy, but I think that is the foundation for a great advisory program because we need it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an intense profession to be in. And if we have that experience of being in a group where we can be honest and we can process what our emotional life is like and where we feel unfinished or unclear, and we know what it's like for that to feel safe, like it was okay for me to share that, my my membership here is still strong and welcome, <laughs> then, then we start to almost feel in our bones like that's what this can feel like for middle schoolers. Uh, they could have a space too where they get to say like, I have no idea what to say or I have no idea what to do in this situation. And their peers can affirm that and not make fun of it and say Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm also really confused. It's it's feeling confused and alone that is traumatic. If we're confused together, we actually might be able to laugh about it. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way to put it because the reality of it is I think we're all still confused in many, many ways, right? And and proof positive of that for me is if we weren't confused, we would have figured out that we weren't we weren't thinking about the idea of school correctly a long time ago. 
Exactly. If it feels unsafe to even open that door, then we don't get the benefit of all the wisdom. It's like we're not harvesting everything mm -hmm. that's been planted there. I agree. And then we just, you know, try to close our eyes and run fast through middle school, hope that we make it out okay on the other end. And we miss really the last big burst of brain growth in our whole lifespan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's also interesting too, right? You know, we don't remember all of these rapid changes that happen to us in our infancy, right? Our brains haven't developed enough that we develop, we have memory of it. And yet we remember almost everything about this space. It's so true. And there's fascinating research on that. I think Spotify did a large scale study about music preferences mm -hmm. and found that it's mm -hmm. basically late middle school music preferences are still what you're listening to decades later. And they can 100%. Even guess yeah. your age based on <laughs> what songs you're choosing as an adult. It is so formative. It is. It's incredibly formative. And, you know, if you step back and think about, you know, what is the, the genre of stuff I know the most words to? I can. Yeah, I'm with you. I can promise you that it's going to be all that stuff from when I was in middle school. Exactly. Right? I, I can sing those songs just by heart. Right. Some of the other stuff, not so much. I think that's an interesting thing. I love that. Yeah. Um, I always like to wrap the program, Chris, by recognizing that we've got we've got teachers, um, parents that are sitting out in the world listening to this and thinking, if there's one thing I can do to be mindful and constructive mm -hmm. in this space with my own child or within my own community or my own, uh, my own school, um, what recommendation would you have to somebody who's listening to this and say, okay, I get it. I'm going to think about it differently. You know, there's a funny trope in middle school that the adult that students trust the most is the art teacher. And it's not always true, but it's often yeah. true. And I think it's because the art teachers often feel the most comfortable, the most permission to be themselves, to mm, be quirky sure. and weird. Mm -hmm. So if I had to give one piece of advice for teachers, it was that we all have the right to do that. Uh, we don't have to wear the mask and look like we're calm and in control at all times because middle schoolers, even if they don't know why we're lying about it, can tell that we're not always calm and in control. <laughs> So we're all a little weird and that's mm -hmm. awesome. Like there mm -hmm. are no normal people. There are just people who are more or less comfortable revealing their inner quirks. Right. So if we can be a little weird and show our quirks and our unfinished sides, then middle schoolers will trust us more and they get to be weird with us because that's actually how humans are, <laughs> I mm -hmm. think. So that would I, be the one thing. <laughs> I love that so much. That That's absolutely perfect. So thank you for that. And thank you for taking time um, out of your day, have a conversation with us. Um, and so if you haven't um, picked it up, please go grab um, Finding the Magic in Middle School um, by Chris Baum because it's a fabulous, fabulous read. Um, I think most of the staff at PAST has, has, has read the book. They've passed it around. It's become a great um, point of conversation uh, amongst folks. And there's um, a lot of really great stuff in there. So Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Great conversation. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.